Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Well, I want to just read a text uh, from the scriptures that we're going to be looking at today, and actually for the next four weeks, we're going to be landing on this text just about every week. Uh, It's found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 38 to 40. Uh, Jesus says these words, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Father, this morning as we enter into the scriptures, I pray that you would speak to us in a fresh way, challenge us, and change us forever. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So good. Everybody doing okay? Right on. Right on. Great to see you here today. Um, I want to begin with a question today. Has any of you here ever experienced something we call buyer's remorse? You can just throw up your hands if you've experienced that. Okay, a bunch of hands going up. Some of you may not even know what it is because I'm pretty sure all of us have experienced it before. I'll give you a quick definition. Cambridge Dictionary defines buyer's remorse in this way. A feeling of regret after making a choice or decision. So real simple. You go to the mall. You're, you're putting on a shirt. You're looking at it. You're trying to figure out if you like it. And the, the pretty store clerk, let's assume this is a guy, uh, the pretty store clerk says, oh, that looks really nice on you. Oh, yeah. And so you buy the thing, you take it home, <laughs> and you put it on, and you stand in front of the mirror and go, I hate this shirt. Why did I buy this shirt? And there's a feeling of regret. It's like, I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have done it. Um, and, and so you have some remorse and some regret over a decision you made. And that's fun. But how about if it's your career? Ten years ago, you made a choice that led you down a path, and now there's a feeling of regret about it. Or maybe it's a relationship you got into, and you're like, how did I get here? Or maybe some choice you've made in your life, and you get down the road, and all of a sudden you stop and look back and go, how did I get here? And you look back, and there's a feeling of regret about where you've ended up. I experienced this. As I, as I thought about this idea of buyer's remorse, I was reminded um, of the year that between grade 8 and grade 9, Okay, so I was about 13 years old, and I had gone and spent a few weekends working at a Christian ranch, which was really cool because I loved horses, and I got to hang out with horses, and I liked working with kids, and I got to hang out with kids. And so I enjoyed spending a few weekends there. They asked me if I would volunteer for the summer working at the camp, and I thought, this is amazing. I'm going to go, and I'm going to spend my summer working at this camp. It's going to be awesome. And I took the paperwork home, and I showed it to my parents. And one of the questions on it was, what day will you arrive? So when are you coming up to to work for the summer? And I put the day after school ended. And my parents looked at me and they said, are you sure you don't want a day or two off before you work all summer? Oh, no, no, this is great. Um, Couldn't get out of there quick enough. Uh, And then there was another date uh, about when you were going to come home or leave the ranch. And I remember putting the day, it was the day before school started. So I literally, my entire summer... I volunteered to work at this camp. I thought it was going to be amazing. Uh, I thought I'd be riding horses and playing with kids. What I didn't realize when I signed the form was that I had volunteered for the maintenance crew. (laughs) And so my summer would consist of cutting lawns, mulching gardens, trimming hedges, and clearing brush out of the forest, chopping firewood, etc. Not my idea of a good time. There was this moment, but halfway through the summer, it was in July, it was hot, and we're out in the middle of a forest and we're clearing uh, brush. 
And I remember the black flies being so thick, I could barely see the person beside me. They were in my ears, in my nose, biting my neck. I'm sunburnt. I'm exhausted. I'm 13 years old, and I'm thinking to myself, how did I get here? You don't want to talk about buyer's remorse. I remember thinking, I wouldn't do this if they were paying me. And they're not paying me. What am I doing here? And so I'm just sitting there going, what, what, how did, and I'm, I'm envisioning my friends from school all like swimming in a pool, cold glass of Coke, playing video games late into the night, eating chips. And I'm like, that's what I want. And I'm here. I ex- experienced a lot of regret at the decision uh, that I had made. You know, buyer's remorse, this, this feeling of regret that, that we feel after making a decision is often, it often happens because of two things, and maybe there's more, but I'll, I'll share with you two. The first one is unrealistic expectations. Isn't that true? Like when you have unrealistic expectations of how it's going to go, I was picturing myself swimming in the pool. I was picturing myself working with horses, but I had actually signed up for the maintenance crew. So my expectations were all off. And when your expectations are off, it's a setup for buyer's remorse, Right? And so one of the things I get to do as a, as a pastor is I get to walk young couples through the marriage process. And, and as I meet with them and we go through those things, I want to try to help them have realistic expectations of what marriage is like, right? Without being a downer. You know, I, I want to I help them to understand, right? Because sometimes they're just like, they're 21, 22, they're in love and, and they're thinking to themselves, this is going to be amazing. Like we love each other. There'll never be any problems, and we'll meet each other's needs whenever we have needs, and everything will just be peachy, and we'll just love each other. And it's like, whoa, hang on a second, right? And so anyone in here who's been married a while or were married, then you know marriage isn't always the easiest thing. And so you have to go into it with a clear set of expectations, or otherwise you might be disappointed. As I say, marriage is amazing, but you better have the right expectation going into that. You're going to have a kid. People just, oh, it's going to be so amazing to have this little person that looks just like us. Until a little person arrives, and you haven't slept in two weeks, and you're wondering what the return policy is on this thing, right? Like, you're cute, but I can't afford this. Like, I just need to sleep. Unrealistic expectations of what's coming um, is a setup for buyer's remorse. Isn't that true? Uh, another thing is short-sighted decisions. So whenever we make decisions without thinking about its implications for the future... We just make a decision because it, it, it feels right or it makes sense in the moment. We are setting ourselves up when we make short-sighted decisions for buyer's remorse in the future. When you buy something that you can't afford and a year later you really need something for your family and you can't because you bought that thing. And you go, why did I do that? Why? Why? And you begin to feel regret for it. So short-sighted decisions uh, will lead to buyer's remorse. I, I, I think of it this way. Short-sighted decisions often result in long Short-lived commitments. That makes sense? Short-sighted decisions often result in short-lived commitments. So halfway through the summer, my parents come up to visit me. And uh, it was a Saturday. There was kind of a rodeo. Kids that were there for the week were going home. New kids would come the next day. And my parents came up, and we had lunch together. And I'm sunburned. I have black fly bites all over the place. And they said, how's it going? And I remember breaking down in tears, 13-year-old boy saying, I hate this. It's hard. And they're like, I know, son, but you made a commitment. You've got to follow through with them. Like, I know, but can I just come home for two days, sleep in my own bed, say hi to some friends, and then I'll come back and finish out the summer. And my parents said, well, that's reasonable. So we went and met with the camp director. <laughs> and I'll never forget sitting in, in the chair in the director's office with my parents, and they, they explained the situation. He said, like, uh-huh, okay. He's like, but uh, your son made a commitment. Yeah, yeah, he did. But he, he didn't really know what he was doing. And uh, he's just like a couple of days off. Well, he said, you know, 
I know it's hard, but when it gets hard and you back out of a commitment, what are you teaching your son? Uh, someday he might be married and his marriage will get hard. You want him to walk away from that? Like, no. Or, or maybe his faith will be challenged and he won't be sure what to do and he's making a tough decision. You want him just to walk away? They're like, no. You're staying. <laughs> they turned to you, you're staying. And I did stay and I, I finished out the summer. It was, it was great. Buyer's remorse. <laughs> buyer's remorse. You may be wondering, why? Why am I talking about buyer's remorse? Well, here's why. I believe that too many people, specifically in North America, Todd prayed for uh, some of the persecuted church in other countries. Totally different deal. For us... In Canada, I think that many people struggle with buyer's remorse when it comes to their faith. When it comes to their commitment to following Jesus, man, they go, oh, this sounds good, and they start down a path, and then when things get hard, they go, what am I even doing here? And you don't have to raise your hands, but my guess is that every single one of us at some point along our journey of faith, no matter where you're at, has stopped and went, is it worth it? What am I doing here? How did I get here? And why should I stick around And I think the reason why so many people struggle with buyer's remorse as it pertains to their faith is because at some point along their way, they were sold on Jesus. Sold. Somebody ever sell you on something? I'm old enough to remember the days of door-to-door salesmen. Do you guys remember that? Like Like now they'll sell you an internet package or they'll try to lock in your hydro rates or something like that. They'll come around your door and it's really annoying and most people just ignore them. But But back in the day, when I was a kid, they used to come to your door selling encyclopedias. They would come to your door selling full-out appliances. And they would do a demonstration. My favorite was the Kirby vacuum. How many remember this this beauty? Right? We got a Kirby vacuum. There it is. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And so the guy would come to the door. And be like, hey, I'd like to do a demonstration. Like, ah, I don't really know. And he'd be like, no, seriously, I'll, I'll vacuum your house for you. Okay. <laughs> Most housewives are like, sure. <laughs> this is amazing. A man's never offered to vacuum my house before. Uh, this is the 80s, remember. And so he'd come in with the vacuum, and he started vacuuming, and, uh, and he'd, he'd spill some dirt on the carpet. <gasps> no problem. And you're like, wow, there's a headlight on that thing. And he's just going around sucking up all the dirt. At the end of, at the end of his demonstration, he'd open up the vacuum bag. I remember this as a kid. Open up, and he's like, look, look at all the dirt your vacuum has missed full of dirt. Look at dust mites, termites, other kinds of mites. I didn't say that, but there was like, it was like, look at, look at what's in there. This is terrible for your health. This is terrible for your home. You need one of these. And, and the salesman was an expert at selling you on the features and benefits of the thing they're trying to sell, right? Isn't that what you do when you're trying to sell something? You highlight the features and the benefits. And the whole time he's presenting this amazing vacuum, even as a kid, you know what I'm wondering? How much? Right? You're sitting in the timeshare meeting for three hours. And they're going, look at the beautiful view. See these beds? They're soft. Not like the beds you're staying in. If you sign up with us, you will vacation in comfort. And you're going, amazing. How much? But they won't tell you. Like, how much is the vacuum? Wait. Before I tell you, you need to know that it doubles as a leaf blower. uh, That's legit. It's true. You hook the hose to the motor and you get out in your driveway rolling that thing around. They don't tell you how it's like 50 or 60 pounds. You need two kids to help you carry it up the stairs. But I mean, this is the last vacuum cleaner you'll ever buy. And so you're like, how much? I'm like, wait, it has more features and benefits. And they just keep telling you how amazing it is and how you can't live without it. And you think to yourself, well, this is probably expensive and I want my kids to go to college. But then the salesman says, yeah, but if, if you don't get rid of these dust mites, your kids won't even make it that far. So you need this thing, right? 
And so, and so they're selling you features and benefits, features and benefits. And then finally they do give you the price because it has to. I went online to see, did you know they still sell these? They still sell them door to door and you still can't find a price list because it varies based on what the salesman thinks he can get out of you. Yeah. The Wall Street Journal, just, I was reading an article they did a few years ago about this. Okay, so you got the Kirby vacuum and he finally tells you the price, seventeen forty nine. And the average homeowner's like, whoa, can I drive it to work? Like, that's a lot of money for a vacuum. Yeah, but it's the last vacuum cleaner you'll ever own. My parents did buy one. We've had many vacuums after that, so I think he lied. Um, but, but, but he gives you the price, and it's like, well, I can't afford that. He says, but don't worry. You know, 180 easy payments of twenty nine ninety five, and, and you, we will finance it for you at 22%. No problem. We can make it work. The price is not a problem. The features and benefits, that's all you need to know about it. This, this is a salesman's jam. This is how they do it. I mean, they highlight the features and benefits and downplay the cost so you'll buy into this thing. And of course, many people, after they buy these things, regret the decision because of the costs. They regret the decision because they were, they were sold on this thing. Now, the reason why I'm talking about this is because here's, here's one of the things I think happens. I think that in the North American church, we often try to sell Jesus. We try to sell them, and here's how we do it. We talk to our neighbors, talk to our friends, or we even tell ourselves, here are all the features and benefits of Jesus, but we don't want to talk about the costs. We'll talk about highlight all the things he'll do for you, but not talk about any of the things you're going to do for him, right? And, and what's amazing is when you open up the New Testament scriptures, what you'll discover, Jesus never sells himself. He's never run around going, oh, if you just follow me, your life will be amazing. Just do it. You know, like trying to convince people as if he's some sort of product they need to have. He never does it. He just never does it. His disciples never do it. Paul never does it. Jesus doesn't do that. So if you're here today and you're wondering about faith, maybe you're trying to figure out where you're at with this thing. You've been hanging around church, coming out, going, I don't know if I'm ready to commit to Christ. I'm not sure if I want to be a follower of Jesus. This is a great sermon series for you to hear. Because I'm going to cut past all of the fluff, and we're going to look at the brass tacks. We're going to get to the bottom of it, and we're going to discover what Jesus actually says. And and what I want to share with you in just a few moments is a beautiful picture or analogy of what it means, truly means, to follow Jesus. So for those of you who haven't yet decided, this is going to be super helpful. For those of you that have been, have been a Christian or walking with Jesus for a season, but you, you're still kind of trying to figure out what it all means, this is going to help you as we discover this together. Before I read the text one more time that we already read, let me give you some context. The, the verse, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. That verse, is, it's a beautiful promise and a beautiful image, but that is for those who follow Jesus, not for the rest of the world. It's for those who follow Jesus. In fact, in the prior chapter and a half, Jesus is saying, hey guys, it's going to be super hard. He's talking to his disciples, his closest followers. It's going to be hard. You're going to be persecuted. Your friends and family might turn on you. But hey, there's eternal rewards. I'm with you. It's going to be okay. And then he gives them this promise. So this is for those, if you're here today and you're like, I want to follow Jesus with my life. This is for you. And this is going to help us to understand what Jesus invites us into. Let's look at it again. Matthew eleven thirty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Ever experienced that? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke, take my yoke, not Y-O-L-K, like the yokes on you. Take my yoke upon you. I had to throw it in there. 
and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I will and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He highlights this image of a yoke. Now, for those of us who were born in the last century, which is all of us, um, work gets done with uh, metal machinery that's powered by typically diesel engines and hydraulic cylinders. And, and we use that to, to plow roads and to, to build stuff and all of that kind of thing. But that's only the last hundred years. Before that, for thousands of years, work got done in one way, using a yoke. They harnessed the power of large animals to get work done, right? And so they would use something called a yoke. I have a, I have a this is more of a modern style yoke. It's actually pretty old. It's from a local farm around here. Um, this, wooden, this wooden yoke could be used to harness together a couple donkeys, a couple horses, maybe a couple oxen. And it would unite the two animals for the purpose of work. So I'll give you a little definition of what a yoke is. A yoke is a wood bar which binds two animals together as one for the purpose of work. Make sense? And the yoke would allow the farmer or the worker to to harness these two large animals and to combine their strength into one strap, into one bar to do some work. And the first thing we need to understand about the yoke, because we're going to be talking a lot about a yoke for the next four weeks, is that the yoke is an instrument of work. And I just wrote this down because I think this is so important because if you've been sold Jesus, then nobody ever told you this, that God invites you and he invites me into his work. Did you know that? That God is trying to do something in this world and he invites us to join him in what he's doing, not the other way around. In fact, the Bible, this book that I'm holding, is not just a compilation of great stories and promises, but this tells the story of what God is doing, his work Throughout time and into eternity, that's what this tells us about. And the beautiful thing is, is that God invites you and us, if we're to follow his son, into his work. We're going to do some stuff. We're going to do his agenda. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So Jesus says to his disciples, take my yoke, take my work upon you. We're going to be doing some work. As I read through the Gospel of Matthew, fascinating. I was looking at all the parables that Jesus tells. And about half of them are directly connected to his work. There's the parable of the fields that are white to harvest. And he says to his disciples, pray that God would send what? Workers into the field, laborers into the field. Why? Because there's a job to do. And I'm inviting you into my work. Uh, He tells a story about two sons and their father sends them out to do work. And one goes and one doesn't. He tells another parable about the faithful stewards. He sends a bunch of workers into the field at different times during the day, pays them all the same thing. Great lesson about grace. There's the parable of the talents. He gives different amounts of money to different workers and sends them to do something with it. It's like, as you go through the gospel, it's like, wow, you actually really care about this work getting done and you invite us into it. Yes, that is exactly what Jesus is saying. God invites us into his work. Did you know We are saved from something. Those are the features and benefits, right? Saved from your sin, saved from guilt, saved from eternal damnation, saved um, from uh, pain and eternity with Christ. This is amazing, right? We're saved from something, but those are the features and benefits. And sometimes we sell Jesus with the features and benefits, don't we? But guess what? We're not only saved from something, we're saved to something. That when... 
we come to follow Christ, we also take on his work, his mission, his plan, his kingdom, his hope, his life, and his love. There's work to do. He's building a kingdom. So let's look back at the text again. He says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Notice that Jesus invites us into partnership. And I need a couple volunteers. Is Adam McEnroy here? No. Carl, can you help me? Right on. Carl, Cooper, can you help me? You all right? You don't have to say anything. Just come on up on the stage. What I'm going to do, I'm going to harness these guys up now. Uh, Carl is much larger, stronger than Cooper, we assume. And... uh, (laughs) So I'm going to put that over your neck. There we go. So I'm going, to, I'm going to harness these guys up into a yoke together. There we go. Yeah. Can we? Yeah, you might have to bend over. All right. Okay, step forward a little bit. All right. So this is amazing. Kind of walk forward a little bit. Okay. This is the image that Jesus gives us of what it means to follow him. And Carl's going to represent Jesus. All right. The strong one. Because as these guys are pulling, right? So we're pulling a plow. You guys can pull into that bar a little bit. Come on. Oh, hang on a sec. There we go. Pull. Pull. Ah. Now, (laughs) okay, that's enough. That's enough. All right. Now, you probably don't have to guess who's doing most of the pulling right now. (laughs) Of course. And that's exactly what we think as we move through life with Christ. We're like, look how amazing. And really, we know who's pulling the load, right? But this is a beautiful image. Jesus doesn't say, hey, come and follow behind me and do good things and stay out of trouble. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Partner with me. And when you yoke up with him, the strength is shared. And you're doing life, the Christian life, following Jesus, yoked together beside him. Is this helping anybody to understand? This is what Jesus invites us into. And in the image he uses. Thanks, guys. Can you give these guys a round of applause? Thank you. So the yoke is a powerful tool that combines the strength of two to get something done. And Jesus invites us into his yoke. You know what's scary? The scary thing to me is that what God wants to do in this world, he's going to do through us. He wants to partner with us to love the people he wants to love. I'm sure God in his infinite ability could could get everything he wanted to get done without us, but he chooses to yoke up with us and by his strength and ability, lead us to do the work that he wants to do in the world. There are people that God will lead you to love in his strength when you're yoked with him. There are people that you'll encourage because you're yoked up with him, receiving his encouragement, and you're partnering with him in his work. It's a beautiful image of what Jesus invites us into, partnership with him. If you can throw up that text again with all those yellow words, um, this is the text that we're looking at. And I want you to notice all those yellow words. There's seven times Jesus says, I, me, my. The whole emphasis of this text is on him. The whole emphasis of the text is on him. And you may be wondering, well, okay, if I join Jesus in his work, what do I get? Answer, you get him. You get him. That's what you get. I want to share with you another parable. Don't worry. It's a short one. You're probably thinking, wow, how long is this sermon going to be? A couple parables, actually. Let's make it two. Uh, Matthew 13, since you guys are so delighted about it. Uh, Matthew 13, 44, uh, a couple chapters later, Jesus, Jesus says these words. Man, these are so powerful. Just captivated my attention this week. He says, the kingdom of heaven 
is like treasure hidden in a field. Picture an empty field, and somewhere out there there's a treasure that nobody knows about. He's like, it's like that. And a man finds it and covers it up. And in his joy, he goes out and he sells all that he has to buy the field. So here's somebody who finds a treasure in an obscure spot that no one else sees, and he's willing to sell everything he has to get it. Have you ever found something in your life that was worth everything you have to obtain it? I have. When I was six years old, there was this Knight Rider car at the store. And I'd seen a few episodes of Knight Rider, you know, with um, what's his, David Hasselhoff, you know, chest hair. I was like, that's awesome. And this black car that was indestructible, it was just awesome. I just remember being captivated by it. I asked my, I asked my kids this week, I'm like, hey, do you guys love it? They're like, Dad, you won't let us watch Knight Rider. There's lots of content in there. So I don't know, somehow I watched it as a kid, and I loved the show. And so we're in the store, and I see this, 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 this metal scale model of Knight Rider. It was black. It was steel. It was beautiful. And I remember seeing it and saying to my parents, I have to have it. And they're like, I don't think it's as great as you think it is. I was, no, no, I have to have it. Like, my life depends on it. And I, I took every penny I had. I sold stuff. I had to have this Knight Rider car. It was going to make me happy. And we went to the store and bought the Knight Rider car. And I brought it home and I was in heaven. I was like, this is the most amazing thing. And I'm six years old. I'm driving it down the stairs. And my dad's saying, well, you're going to break that. I said, no, it's Knight Rider. It's Kit. Kit is indestructible. I said, I don't think that one is. And I'm driving it down the stairs. I ram it into bricks and the, the hood got dented. I'm like, wait a minute. And then the door broke off. Buyer's remorse. I, I was like, man, I... I invested everything in this thing. It's letting me down. And then one day I left it on the wood stove and the tires melted off. (laughs) The treasure in the story that Jesus is talking about is Jesus. That's the treasure the man found. And the treasure was worth so much to him, he's willing to sell all that he had, give up anything to have it. The field where he found it is this book. The scriptures. Hmm? Millions of people have read through this book and went, oh, that's interesting. And then other people, maybe some in this room, have read through this book. And God, by his spirit, has grabbed a hold of them. And they fell in love with Jesus and said, I'll give my life for Jesus. Same reading, same book. One person sees it and is captivated and gives their life for it. Another goes, huh, that was interesting. Weird stuff in there. And they move on. Just like in the story, Jesus says, this is what the kingdom is like found a field, uh, treasure in a field. And when Christ is more valuable than your agenda, when he's more valuable than your stuff, when you care more about what he thinks than your boyfriend, you might be onto something. You might have found something that is worth more than anything this world can offer. The next passage, he continues. Another story, almost identical. Verse 45 says this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Here's someone who's purchasing jewelry, he's uh, collecting valuable things, and he finds one pearl that is worth more than anything else in the world, and he obtains it at any cost. You see the picture? Jesus says, that's the deal. He is the thing. That is worth more than anything this world has to offer. Say, really? Give up everything to have Jesus? Yeah, it kind of makes sense since he spoke and created everything that exists. Why not have the creator instead of the stuff he created? And what's so beautiful about this, this 
this image of the yoke. What's so beautiful about it is Jesus isn't selling us anything. He's not trying to convince us. He's saying, hey, you can have me. You can partner with me in my work. I'll give you purpose. I'll give you eternity and relationship forever. That's what I'm giving you. And you say, well, what's the cost? And Jesus says, everything. Everything. You go, wait a minute. Nathan, you are not selling me right now. This is a bad sales pitch. How much is the Kirby vacuum? Sell your house. (laughs) Jesus says, he sold all that he has. I'm not suggesting you sell all your stuff. I'm not suggesting to you that following Jesus means quitting your job and becoming a pastor. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that Jesus becomes more valuable than anything else this world has to offer. He's not selling us something we'll later regret and have buyer's remorse. He offers us himself. And so what I wanted to do as I I close out this message is I wanted to take opportunity to sing a song. As I was thinking about this sermon, I was thinking about the value of Jesus. Because I don't want to stand up here and be like, hey, your life will be amazing if you accept Jesus. What I want to tell you is that you can meet him in such a way that you will want him more than anything else. and, And you'll want to partner up your life with him and do life together with him. And that, that is what Jesus is after. And so I have a song. I'm going to invite my wife, uh, Jessica, to come up. She's going to accompany it on the piano. I'm going to do my best um, to play this for you. But I want you just to listen to the words and consider it. And I don't know where you're at in your story, in your journey of faith, but um, these words are, are powerful and they're kind of a heart's desire for me. So.
to die and when I come to die give me Jesus you can sing with me give me Jesus give me Jesus you can have all this world you can have all this world and you can have all this world but give me That's, that's the prayer of my heart. When you get a glimpse of the value of Jesus, it changes everything. And no matter where you're at in your faith journey, my hope for you is that you'd catch a glimpse of his great value. And you'd understand that he's not just saying, hey, believe in me. Hey, come follow me. Stay out of trouble. Don't do bad things. Do good things. No, he's saying, come and join me in what I'm doing in this world and into eternity. That's the call. Take my yoke upon you. Join me in what I'm doing. Partner with me. And I want to close um, with this one text that Paul writes. And I want you to see the imagery here because Paul, when he's talking about his relationship with Jesus, he chooses these words in Galatians 2 verse 20. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. He doesn't say, I believe in the, that Jesus was crucified. He says, I've been crucified with him. I am so joined. I am so yoked together with Jesus inseparable. He says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus says, look, it's no longer me. It's we. I am connected. I have been grafted in. I am yoked together with Jesus. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, out of that connection with Christ, that relationship, The rest of my life flows. This is the call. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Can I pray with you? Father, as I I reflect on these words in this message, there's so many regrets in my life when I've tried to go my own way. And yet you've, by your grace, have given me glimpses of the great value of Christ. And I am not completely surrendered, but I want to be. I want to be able to say, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. So today, Lord, as we close this service, would you give us a glimpse of the great value of your son? Would we understand the call of Jesus to be yoked together with him in his mission and his call? And that is my prayer today for each and every one of us. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.